0: Let us pray. Creator God, open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. In the name of your Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy Easter. Hallelujah. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Just checking you're still awake. That's excellent. Wow, people have come from all over the world to be, not just to be here today, I would be flattering myself somewhat to think that, but how wonderful that we are a gathering of people on this festival day, just like the festival of Passover um, those 2,000 years ago, where people from all over the world, the known world, gathered together, and um, in the midst of chaos and crowds and noise, the events of Easter unfolded. But of course, it's another special day for those with a wicked sense of humor today. Um, I was slightly worried that when I sat down, there might be a whoopee cushion on my seat. Or that someone would have changed the service time and not told me. And when I turned up an hour late or three hours early, would have gone, April fool. But no, no. No. But we heard in our our reading from um, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, him talking about wisdom and about foolishness, and about subverting the world's understanding of wisdom, turning it upside down, unintellectualising the intellectual, and offering a different kind of wisdom that the world sees as foolishness. So what is wisdom, and what is foolishness? I wonder if you were to think of those people you think of as fools. It's not a pleasant word to call someone, is it? It's quite insulting. Oh, you fool. It's probably not a word we'd use very much today. We might say even more horrible words like idiot or numpty or whatever it might be. But we very rarely say you fool. We'll come back to that. Who are those who you think of as foolish? Is it people who have made decisions that you think are the wrong decisions, people who put their trust in the wrong people or the wrong things in life? Who are the people you consider foolish? And I wonder who are the people that you consider to be wise? I have a a list of wise people People like Rowan Williams, who is so steeped in prayer and in reading of scripture and theology, that wisdom kind of oozes out of his every pore. And if you read his poetry and his theology, you just get a little glimpse of that kind of wisdom. Or Martin Luther King, who will be celebrating a cross in the Abbey next week. Um, Someone who was able to put into words what the world needed to do in order to move from foolishness to wisdom. From brokenness to wholeness. Who understood the wisdom of having a dream beyond what is just in front of you—a dream of a better world. Or someone like Maya Angelou, who grew from a very impoverished and challenging childhood into being one of the greatest poets and thinkers of our time. I do seem quite struck on poets, don't I? As people who are wise, we often we promote lots of people into power in our world. put people who are good at economics and politics and sociology and science. We very rarely put poets in leadership. I think if we were to follow God's wisdom, it might be the poets who made the laws. But that's a story for another day. Who do you think is wise? Maybe it's your granny or your dad, or someone in your family, I just want you to take one minute and turn to your neighbour and just share with them. And I mean one minute. I know it's like once you start Methodist talking. One minute to share with your neighbour someone who you think of as wise. Just do that for one minute. It's like it does this feels Oh lovely your murmur is dropping to a hum that's a sign that you're being very well behaved excellent well we we talked about grandmothers and about children and about ministers we've known here I'm not going to ask you to share who you talked about because you might have lamb in the oven that you want to get back to later today of course Jesus lived in a time of clashing civilizations and one of the clashes was between Greek wisdom um, Roman power and the Jewish kind of wisdom that lay in the art of storytelling. And St. Paul, who wrote that letter to the Corinthians, although he was quite a good storyteller, most of his writing isn't story. Most of Paul's writing is argument. It's building up hypothesis, theory, theory upon theory, saying, if if this be so, therefore this must be true. So he is very Greek, even though he's a, a Jewish zealot, in his upbringing he's very influenced by Greek thinking and so he's very good at putting an argument together <coughs> very good at metaphor and he uses letters and as a way of convincing the early churches of how they needed to be but also he used metaphors such as his his language about the body he was able to use metaphor to support his arguments But Jewish wisdom, which is part of those clashing ideologies and civilizations of that time, Jewish wisdom lay very much in the art of storytelling and poetry. So we have the Psalms. We have Job, that often considered part of the wisdom literature, where we hear of a man whose life is broken down until he realizes he can only rely on God. And in that wisdom, his life begins to build up again. And, of course, the story Isaiah uses of the vineyard, a way of telling a story with a sting in the tail that that lulls the people into a false sense of security. We know where this story is going. We know where we are. And yet he twists it, and he brings a point home to the people of Israel. And, of course, at the heart of Jewish storytelling is the history of the people, the story of the Exodus, the very soul of the people's identity. But of course, it's not just the Old Testament. Jesus was the consummate storyteller parable after parable he didn't invent parables he was using his people's tradition of storytelling and when he would say something like now there was a man with two sons that's a bit like me saying once upon a time people knew that they were in for a story they were in for something interesting something good was going to happen different cultures perceive wisdom in different ways but at the heart of most cultures wisdom tradition is the art of storytelling, whether through words, art, performance, or music. So who is wise? Who are the wise storytellers? Well, I guess another question is where is wisdom today? Because it's 2,000 years on, but we still live in the midst of a clash of civilizations. And we're seeing it played out in the media at the moment. East versus West. We seem to be singing some old songs and telling some old stories. Asia versus the West. America versus the Arab nations. Russia in the midst of it all. Lines of conflict and civilization shouting at each other. Telling each other they have the truth some relying on evidence to back that truth up, others thinking if you tell the same truth often enough, it will become truth, whether it was truth in the first place or not. We see it as people claim to have a monopoly on truth. What is the prevailing wisdom in a world full of fake news, speculation, Everyone has a point of view and everyone is entitled to share it, however much damage it might do. And of course, the wisdom of the world continues to be what it ever was. The wisdom of the world is to build up barns, to gain wealth, to build bigger barns. And then when you've got really big barns, well, you better build a wall around it to protect it. Wisdom isn't building bridges between people. It's building barriers to keep yourself in and everybody else out. Isn't that the prevailing wisdom? Is that Christian wisdom? That wasn't a rhetorical question. Is that Christian wisdom? Come on, you must, you must know that I'm not asking a rhetorical question. Is it wise to build up bigger walls between people? Ah, you're there. I thought you'd fall, you dropped off in one bit. No, of course it's not wise to build walls that divide. And it's not Christian Christianity is about breaking down barriers. The wisdom of God, which is foolishness to those who are perishing, is to break down the barriers, to build safe communities where all those civilizations can live in love and harmony and peace together. This is the good news, not the fake news, the good news that we are looking for. How foolish it is in the world's eyes to be generous, to give everything away, to offer service not for what we might gain in return, but for love or duty or a deep conviction that this is the right thing to do. And here we have the nub, the heart of the cockeyed wisdom of the Christian story, the foolish love of God that gives up everything so that death Even death is defeated. Hate is defeated by love. Despair is defeated by hope. Death is defeated by life. In the midst of a political and social storm, in the midst of powerful forces of occupation and control, a simple and foolish story is told. A grieving woman comes to the graveyard early in the morning. Early in the morning, perhaps because she's frightened and wants the cover of darkness. Perhaps because she can't sleep. All she can do is long to be with her Lord, even though he is broken and dead and all hope is gone. Early in the morning, in order to honour the burial traditions of her people, whatever reason, it is early in the morning. The light has not quite yet dawned. And she finds despair upon despair, not a body to tend, but an empty tomb. And she is dismayed. And she rushes to her friends and says, They've taken him away. My Lord has gone. And so her friends rush. The disciples go and look, and they themselves encounter a mystery. But they do not yet encounter the risen Lord. The light has not yet dawned. And so they go, bewildered. But Mary stays, blinded by her tears, confused by the mystery that's in front of her. And there's someone there. She thinks he's the gardener. And all it takes the scales to fall from her eyes is that Jesus says her name Mary and in that moment she knows that he is risen indeed, hallelujah of course it doesn't make any sense if you apply the world's logic, the world's wisdom, it cannot be It cannot have taken place. And yet we have a witness to the foolish love of God that will not be bounded by death or hate or fear or even grief, however true that grief might be. How do we respond to such nonsense, to such foolishness? How do we respond to a simple story that sounds like a fairy tale. Well, on this day of fools, I want to suggest that we respond by becoming fools ourselves. Fools for Christ, as it says in the Bible. But not perhaps the fool in the way you think of someone who is foolish, but the fool who is the court jester. Court jesters... Were truth tellers, but it was tended to be wrapped up in comedy in order that the sting might be removed from the tale and yet the truth still be told. It was the fool, the court jester, that disarmed monarchs by telling the truth through stories that seemed ridiculous and in doing so allowed the truth to enter the courts of the powerful. This week, France has commemorated the heroic action of Lieutenant-Colonel Arnaud Beltrame, who walked unarmed into a hostage situation and took the place of hostages. How foolish was that action? I don't know, I can't speak for what motivated him, but I can only guess that he was motivated by love, whether it was love of the hostages, love of his fellow gendarmes, love of something beyond himself that could give him the courage to lay down his life for other people. The world would see that as very foolish, but for those of us who know we live in eternal life, in the kingdom of God, there is no such foolishness. If we are to be fools for Christ, then what are we called to do? Well, going back to Paul and his logic and Jesus and his storytelling, I'd like to suggest that we are unlikely to ever argue anyone into the kingdom of God. However much we try, however good our apologetics, our way of explaining the resurrection, arguing doesn't get people to know the love of God in their lives and hearts. What gets people to know is through the telling the story of God's foolish love. And it may be we tell that story in words or it may be we tell it by the way we live and the actions of our lives but it is the illogical, unbelievable story of a love so powerful it broke the chains of death and despair that we are called to tell, to make ourselves less wise in the eyes of the world, to become more foolish, to be the court jesters, not in a royal court of the world, but in God's kingdom We can be the jesters because we're not interested in looking good in our own status, our own reputation, how clever people think we are, but because we are committed to telling the story of God's love, of declaring that Christ is risen, that God favors the poor, the downtrodden, the broken, and the brokenhearted. In a changing world, we may have to find new ways to tell that story but the story does not change. God is foolish enough to love each and every one of us and to become human, to live amongst us, to share in our life. God is foolish enough to be be willing to give up all power and to suffer death for our sake. And beyond all that, God's love so foolish in the world's eyes is powerful beyond death. This is the story worth telling. That in love is the power to transform all things. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.